Let us go ahead and pray and go before the Lord. Father, we bless you for this opportunity to get into your word tonight. Lord, we pray let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords, think through my mind, none of me and all of you. Holy Spirit, you are indeed welcome in this service on this evening. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you will do. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation and manifestation. For everything that you will do, God, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Everything okay? All right. Um, I want to first make this reference tonight from, uh, from my book... <laughs> remaining focus. Let me also say that uh, Dr. Smith has a new book that's available on Amazon. Praise God. We's a writing church. Praise God. (laughs) Her second book is available on Amazon. Please remind me of the name of it. The name is in your hands. Lord have mercy. It doesn't hurt anymore. A black woman's fight for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Amen. Amen. I, my copy will be here, I uh, think, tomorrow. Amen. Amen. So, you know, let's all support each other in regards to uh, uh, these endeavors. Did you find that book on Amazon? I started with that, yes. It's available on Amazon right now. <laughs> Amen. Dr. Shamika N. Smith. Amen. Um, You remember we talked about um, uh, distractions. Um, Ephesians chapter number six tells us something, and I use the voice translation in uh, this particular book. It says, finally, my brothers and sisters, draw your strength from, draw your strength and might from God. Put on the full armor of God to protect yourselves from the devil and his evil schemes. We're not waging war against enemies of the flesh. And I think it's important that we have to remember that. They might manifest in the flesh, but we are not waging war against the flesh. He says, against the flesh. Again, this is the voice translation. Flesh and blood. No, the fight is against tyrants, against authorities, against supernatural powers and demons, princes that uh, shatter in darkness, shatter shatter in darkness of this world and against wicked spiritual armies that lurk about in the heavenly places. Now, it's important that we understand that, again, you might have the manifestation of you know, people that seemingly are fighting you, but you need to know where the fight is as a believer. That being said, then you need to make sure that you use your authority for where the root is and not just simply the fruit. One of the things that God has given us in Acts chapter number 16, it talks about a time where there was an annoying young girl that was annoying Paul. Paul is is ministering and this the young girl is absolutely getting on his last nerve. And he does not, however, in Acts chapter 16, he does not speak to the girl. He speaks to the spirit behind the girl and takes authority of the spirit 
and the spirit has to cease from his maneuvers against Paul because he knows where the root is. It's incumbent upon us to make sure that we understand where the root is. Speak to the spirit. Take authority of the entity that is coming against you and don't try to fight in the flesh. That's the distinguishing line with us as believers. We have to know where the fight is. I said some things uh, as we were ministering out of town this past week. Some things are in manifestation with the people, but they need to understand that there is a spiritual component. Some things you got to deal with in the realm of the spirit. I take authority of that spirit that, that is seeking to attack me. And I de- see you have this is where your authority. I declare to that spirit, you must cease and desist your maneuvers against me in the name of Jesus. You don't get in your flesh and then expect a spiritual result. You stay in the spirit so that you have a spiritual result that manifests in the flesh. That makes sense. All righty then. Very good. Daniel chapter five. You should have it by now. Yes. That's what we just chit chat a little bit. If you haven't read Daniel by chapter 5, then you should just repent. <laughs> Everybody's read Daniel chapter 5? All right. Very good. Daniel chapter 5 is, is where we see <laughs> is where we see a shift from the story and the narrative of Nebuchadnezzar into his son Belshazzar. It is an interesting shift because verse chapter 37 now, it says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. So there is, a, there is, there is this admission from Nebuchadnezzar in his latter days of life that God has the ability to humble him, Right? We understand right prior to this particular statement, he was driven away into the wilderness, if you will. His his hair's grown out, his nails grow out as God is literally humbling him from this arrogant and prideful spirit. And we see as we move into chapter number five that his son has now moved into the area of administration. And he decides with his wisdom to take the cups and goblets and and everything from the treasury that belonged to the house of Judah from the the temple and he actually brings this in as party tools. He thinks that's a good idea to get drunk and have a good time with sacred things. Okay? And so what happens in the process we see in verse number 11 that as they're having fun there's a hand that appears and begins writing on the wall. Now, I'm skipping through this on purpose because you know, I can't read through everything, right? But one of the things I wanted to point out to you is that verse number 12. They see this handwriting on the wall and they, they, try to, you know, they try to figure out what's going on. So they call for Daniel to explain what's happening. His mama, uh, Belshazzar, says to him essentially some things. This is verse 12. He says, this man, Daniel, says there's a man that can interpret this, this handwriting on the wall. He says, this man, Daniel, whom the king... Uh, named Bel, whom the king named Belshazzar was exceptional, has exceptional ability. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and he is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Now, in light of 
our conversation in regards to the righteous mind. I think this is important that we look at Daniel once again. He is brought forward to be able to interpret, to explain, and solve a difficult problem. With your righteous mind, that's what's going to happen for you. That people are going to seek you to interpret things, to explain riddles, mysteries, puzzles, or brain teasers, and solve difficult problems. This is what Daniel's life looks like. He, we don't know where he is at this point. But they, his, his Nebuchadnezzar, dare I say, probably one of his wives, uh, which is the mother of uh, Belshazzar, said, go call for this man. We've heard about him in the kingdom. He has the ability to interpret things, right? Now notice what happens though. So, Bel, so Daniel comes in, he interprets the handwriting on the wall. And he says, all right, you, 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 you're getting ready to get in trouble. You're about to have a problem. This, this is too late for you. Your kingdom shall be extremely short. History tells us essentially that Nebuchadnezzar's reign was about 43 years, whereas Belshazzar's reign was about 14. Okay? Now, I want you to notice verse 22. I think this is vitally important. He says, you are the successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all of this, yet you have not humbled yourself. So essentially in the interpretation, he says, because you have taken God's stuff and you have arrogantly used it, he says, uh, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be punishment, essentially. But what struck me is verse 22 is Daniel says, you are his successor. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, O Belshazzar, and you knew all of this. He's talking in regards to Nebuchadnezzar. You knew everything that your daddy went through in regards to having this arrogant spirit and understanding how God humbled him. And he says, and you have not humbled yourself. Verse 23, for you have proudly defiled the Lord of heaven and have not had these cups from uh, from his temple brought to you. And have had these cups from this temple brought to you, and you are nobles, and you and your nobles and wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gave you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So I want you to look at this. He says, you knew better. It is important that we understand this. In this particular passage of scripture, he's saying that second generation is not always guaranteed the excuse of ignorance. Second generation is not always guaranteed the excuse of ignorance. Our parents went to church and they knew some things. And the things that they knew and learned we are building on that foundation. You can't say you didn't know what some stuff your mama knew. Because you know more. And so therefore God says, all right, you got that generation to look at and you got the stuff I'm showing you now. You are without excuse. Y'all with me? What am I saying again? Second generation is not always granted the excuse of ignorance. They're not always granted the excuse of ignorance. Well, I just didn't know. Well, he said, why didn't you know? In this case, he said, didn't you see what happened with your daddy? 
So he's held accountable and he has less time to repent in this area of humility than his daddy had. Because his daddy could rightfully say, I didn't know. I didn't know these people. I didn't understand anything. Well, you did in your generation. You knew. You knew better than this. You, you knew. Let me say this. You knew in your generation, maybe they didn't know in the previous generation, that uh, an entanglement is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Other generations, maybe they didn't know this. Maybe they thought, you know, that's what, just what you do. That, you know, you know that living right is important, not for the sake of, of a, a fire insurance, but because it's good for you. That's what we're learning in this generation, right? Okay. Notice this over in Proverbs 26. I want to read this to you. Proverbs 26 and verse 11. Now, the passage translation says this. Fools are fools are famous for repeating their errors like a dog, like dogs are known to return to their own to their vomit. Now, I have a dog. I have seen this happen. This scripture means something. I have, it is it's some kinds of nasty. I've seen my dog do that. Vomit, and a little while later you go to clean it up, and you're like, "What happened to it?" Because <laughs> as far as the dog was concerned, food in, food out. Okay, being graphic on purpose. He's saying he's making this analogy. This is what it looks like when you don't learn from errors. Could be ones that you have personally had, and it can be those that you observe with other people. Maybe it is that God puts you in a position where you see the error of somebody else and he's like, all right, I want you to learn. I want you to learn that. Don't be dumb enough to say, no, 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 God, I need to experience it before I learn. <laughs> he said, all right, but didn't I just, did I put you in the position so you could see the error, see the results of the error, so that you could make an accurate decision not to repeat the error. But here you go with your brilliant self. Said, so, no, 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 no. It's only through firsthand experience. And some of this is what the world teaches. You know, we can learn a lot of stuff by some of the mistakes that we see within the lives of other people. Right? He says, verse number 12, there's only one thing worse than a fool. And that's the smug, conceited man always in love with his own opinions. This is out of the Passion Translation. There's only one worse thing than a fool. And that's the smug, conceited man who's always in love with his own opinions. That's the one that is unteachable. It is important within life that we remain teachable. I don't care how many times you heard the same verse. Man, God can show you one thing out of the same verse that you've heard for the last five years and open it up in a way that you've never seen it before. If we remain teachable. All right, back to Daniel. Daniel chapter number six. So that is chapter number five. Let's look at chapter number six as I just kind of go through this in these Bible studies. This was not the intent, but this is the direction that we have. Okay. Daniel chapter number six. We understand the concept that's taking place in Daniel chapter number six largely has to do with the lion's den. That is generally, again, where we go to, you know, Daniel in the lion's den. Right. But we want to take the journey to the lion's den and explore many of the practical leadership concepts that we gain from the lion's den as well. Yes. Daniel chapter number six. It says once again, verse number one, Darius, the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 providence. So we understand chapter five, the prophecy that Belshazzar would die comes to pass immediately. And there is a rise of a new king 
in Babylon named Darius. And so he's establishing a new kingdom. Again, if we look at this in a very practical sense, we see the rise of yet another boss. There was a hostile takeover in the company, right? And in this hostile takeover, the last CEO didn't make it. And so now we have this new boss that's here and he's dividing the company into 120 different uh, divisions within the company. It's a new style of leadership, if you will. He says, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each providence. So he sets up management in different capacities in, in the office. You're going to run this group. You're going to run that group. And he says, the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators and super, uh, to supervise the high officers and to protect the king's interests. So he says, I'm going to set up over my, my, my managers. I'm going to set a regional manager, right? So that they can make sure they oversee all of these other managers so that we have the flow of our goals uh, within the kingdom or within the corporation. Verse 3 says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made uh, plans to place him over the entire empire. So Daniel soon proved himself capable more capable than anybody else that he was around. Again, the righteous mind will place you in positions where God can promote you. Even in the midst of being around other capable people, God has an ability to, it's called favor, to move you up heads and shoulders above your contemporaries. He says, because Daniel's great ability, well, we understand chapter one where he got his great ability, right? Okay. Now notice this. I want you to notice this concept within the scripture concerning this area of leadership. And Daniel was proven to be more capable than all other administrators of high office officers because of Daniel's great ability. Notice it says the king made plans to place him over the entire uh, empire. Now this is a leadership concept that we need to understand. This is found right here in verse number three. He says, Essentially, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Secure leadership promotes skills, abilities, and expertise wherever it's found. <laughs> Secure leadership. Wait a minute, I'm using my iPad tonight. Secure leadership promotes skills, abilities, and expertise whenever found. Key word here is secure leadership. It says the king made plans. So he sees the capacity of this man named Daniel. And he's not intimidated by it. He doesn't say, oh, I better cut his head off because the boy's too smart. <laughs> okay? He says, oh. Oh, you, you, you good at this. Oh, you can figure that out. He says, all right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to place you in a position where your skills shine. Because secure leadership knows, all right, that's going to be good for the organization. Insecure leadership says, no, 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 no. I got to cut you off at the knees because of the fact you're making me look bad. Okay. Secure leadership promotes skills, abilities, and expertise wherever found. We also see that leadership is not about uh, being the best. It's about having the ability to recognize and motivate talent towards a determined direction or goal. We see all that in verse number three. It's not about being the best. The king wasn't intimidated by the skill set that Daniel had. 
When you are leading anything, you should never be intimidated by skilled employees within your sphere of influence. You find it. But the key is, again, is to recognize and motivate that talent towards a determination or a determined goal or direction. That's where your leadership shines. That's what the king did in verse number three. He said the king made plans. He said, oh, boy, you good, ain't you? Let me go and make some plans. Let me put you over somewhere where you shine so that your skill set can be recognized and your skill set, your skill set can also enhance our organization. Okay? Verse number four. Any questions? Everybody good? Oh, right. Verse number four. He says, then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling, handling government. So we see that as, as soon as Daniel gets a promotion, the people that he is promoted over begin searching. We got to take this old boy down. Okay. <laughs> and we shouldn't be surprised at that. A couple things about this is we understand that he likely is over people that don't have the same culture that he has. Okay, he's a Jew, likely they're not. He's made, there may be Medes and Persians, maybe they're originally uh, those that were conquered Babylonians, right? So they don't have the same culture. When you are promoted within an organization, it is likely that a lot of times you're not promoted amongst people that know your God like you do. And you got to understand it. So what happens is even amongst you being promoted with other folk go to church, maybe they are carnal Christians. So they will be searching for ways to find faults. <laughs> he says searching for some faults in the way Daniel was handling government, a government affairs. He says, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was, notice this, he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Now notice in verse number four, they don't say anything about God. Okay? They say he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. And dare I use the term, he was found with integrity. He was found faithful. I was looking at that and, and, I, and I wrote some notes down that I didn't get in here. Faithful, when you think about the word faithful, to be found faithful, he was faithful, always responsible and completely trustworthy. Faithful is traceable, it's trackable. It can be measured. It's, it's, it's trackable. It is a trackable thing. It is measurable. You know, in, um, in our society today, generally they say uh, they have metrics way where if you go to certain websites, you know, you get the cookies and they can track your routine behaviors. A lot of us think that God doesn't do this. You know, God, why would you do that? The world does this, but we don't think God does this with our life, that he tracks our behaviors to see whether or not you can be trust for a promotion, right? Faithfulness is trackable, it's measured. In other words, faithfulness is predictable. It's routine, predictable, routine, predictable, routine. An unfaithful person, you don't know what they gonna do. Don't know when they gonna show up. They're not predictable. 
Again, if you want promotion from God, God wants to find us faithful. That's where that's where you position yourself from for godly promotion, where I'm predictable. God, you can count on me to be doing the last thing you told me to do. And when promotion comes, I step out of this area of faithfulness into the promotion and be faithful, finding myself doing the next thing you told me to do. It's predictable. Faithfulness is also it's personal. It is a display in actions of what is valued over expressed. It is personal. It is a display in actions of what is valued over expressed. Everybody will tell you they're faithful. But because faithfulness is trackable behavior, we see what it is in your life. Daniel, it says he was faithful and then he says he was responsible. He could handle things. He wasn't the other way of looking at it. he wasn't corrupt, like maybe some of the administrators within the kingdom as well. And then he was completely trustworthy. He was found to have integrity. The word integrity means the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles that you refuse to change. It is a it is a word that we don't often hear as much today, because even with our politician and even there, I say, with some of our preachers, we act like that's something that the, that the God's not interested in anymore. Equality, being honest and having strong moral principles. What, what are you talking about, Reverend? That, that's old fashioned. That's not under the grace of God. OK, you refuse to change. OK. Integrity is also the quality of being whole and complete. When we look at buildings and then they talk about it in structural terms, they say, does the building have integrity? What does that mean? Does it have the ability to stand? Okay. It also means innocent, blameless, and purity. All right, let's look at a couple verses in regards to that, and then we'll go back in just a second. Look over here, if you will, at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 9. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 9. Questions? Yes, innocent, blameless, and pure, or purity. Proverbs chapter 10. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 6. Notice what, the, <laughs> y'all funny. Notice what the scripture says. It says, uh, people with integrity walk safely. But those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. People who walk with integrity. My coworker said one of the most profound things to me that I've heard to this point. And it was real simple. He said, man, he said, and when you do your job, you don't get nervous. Because <laughs> he noticed, I mean, you know, it didn't matter who called. Don't matter if I get a call from Rob. Don't matter if I get a call from another city. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Same person. He said, when you do your job, you don't get nervous. I used to watch my other, the, my predecessor, man, they get a call. Boy, they be like, <laughs> I was like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, and that's what he they, he was just sitting there. He said, "When they, when you do your job, you don't get nervous." Yeah, 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 exactly. We got management coming in. Well, let them come on in. Come on, in. yeah, y'all, y'all. When you come tomorrow, <laughs> notice he says again, people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed, and that's where the issue is. When you follow a crooked path, you are afraid because you don't really want people to see what you're really doing. <laughs> don't want that audit because you know what you really are doing. 
So once again, what God is saying is have integrity because it's good for you. It's sort of like, uh, you know, I've uh, heard the analogy, you know, when you are ill, you know, I've never been to Germany, so I've never been on the Audubon, but they say on the Audubon, you can go whatever speed you want to. You can just go 120, you can go 60. It's up to you. There is no worry about the police. But if you out here on 85 and you're going 85 or 90 miles an hour, you never do it with a level of comfort. Because you wonder whether or not the law is coming. You might do it, but you never do it. Not full comfort because you know around the corner there might be a police officer. And one of the ways you can test it is when you do see those blue lights, do you get nervous? See, if you're going to speed limit, then you never get nervous. You're like, well, you know. But if you're not, you're like, is that me? <laughs> All right, Proverbs 11. Let's look over here. Proverbs 11 and verse number three. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. Proverbs 11 and verse number three says, The integrity and moral courage of the upright will guide them. But crookedness and treacherous will destroy them. He says the integrity of the upright shall guide them. Now last week we had a brief conversation about moral clarity versus moral conviction. Moral clarity versus moral conviction. Moral clarity is the ability to see the right and the wrong. To perceive it. That's right, that's wrong. But moral conviction is the actions that correspond with what you see. Dan, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego operated in both, not just the one. And again, as I've said before, I'll say again tonight, the issue with most Christians is they have more clarity, clarity, but they don't have more conviction built in yet. Because when the pressure shows up, what do you do? And that has been the main thing that I believe God has been dealing with in this body all year. Changing our defaults to a place of righteousness. You don't go back to doing what you used to do. Your new default is, no, let me see God first and then act. Not let me act and then find out if God is behind it. Psalms 25. Psalms 25. I'm going to read this one out of the New International Version of the Bible. Psalms 25, verse number 19. <clears throat> this might be the testimony of some. Psalms 25 and verse number 19. Notice the scripture says this. You got it? Hmm. The rate we're going. <laughs> I had to revisit this again. Well, I, there are a lot of different ways that you can look at Daniel. Okay, I, I never, I never look at it to pull out as many leadership. Well, yeah. every time, see, the way I've always looked at Daniel <laughs> is, again, the general theme yeah. in the first few verses, the first few chapters, if you pull out all the prophetic things, which it depends on what your emphasis is, and just simply look at it as, as leadership, you see how to exist in a hostile work environment. Yeah. 
Because everything about the culture around Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is hostile to their faith, hostile to their person. And they're trying to survive in this environment where they're used to being in Jerusalem where they were their own. You know, around their own people. Everybody believed the same way except for the wicked ones. Right. I'm glad you all listened to the first series on offense. So. Well, it does help if you do your homework, though. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So you have something to bring to class. All right. Psalms 25. You got it by now? Notice what the scripture says. It says, see how many new, see how numerous are my enemies and how uh, fiercely they hate me. He says, verse number 20, guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame. He says, man, Lord, look at all these folks that are against me. He said, don't let me be put to shame. He says, for I will take refuge, not in myself, but in you. Verse 21 says, may integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. So even in the midst of everyone being against you, he says, Lord, let me hold on to my integrity. May integrity and uprightness protect me. So you're telling me that integrity and uprightness can be its own protection? The Bible says yes. In fact, it can. With Daniel, we see that going on in his life, that he's walking in an area of integrity, even while they are plotting to kill him. 25, 19, and 21. Look at Psalms 41, since you are there, and we're going to stay in the New International Translation. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Psalms 41, and verse 11. We might bleed over one more week into uh, November for the book of Daniel. Okay. <laughs> Psalms 41 and verse 11. It says, I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemies does not triumph over me. Now, a lot of times we look at the fact that I got enemies and say, God, are you, <laughs> where you at? <laughs> but the scripture says here, Lord, I know you're pleased with me because every time they try something, they don't win. Yes. 
Every time they attack me, they seem to meet with failure. He says, I know that you're pleased with me. I can see it. It also means that means that I have to take time to not have a hardened heart where I don't consider what God has already done because he ain't doing what he really want him to do right now, which is smite them all. <laughs> Notice this. He says, verse number 12, because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in the pre- in your presence forever. Notice he says, though, he doesn't just say because of integrity as a abstract. He says, because of my integrity, God, you uphold me. Now, back to Daniel. You with me? So, Daniel, verse number five, once again. Let me see, make sure. Let me, uh, verse number five. Let me look over here. The scripture says, in verse number five, so they concluded the only chance of finding ground for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So they look for areas that they can condemn, they can criticize him, and they couldn't find anything. So he said, there is one area that we know if we can find something in connection with his religion, then that will be something that will, in fact, condemn him. And the question that we can find within verse number six is, does your faith inform your behavior? Does your faith inform your behavior? They said, they concluded, verse number five, I think, verse number five, so they concluded the only way we could find ground in accusing Daniel is in connection with the rules of his religion. This translation says, well, it is really talking in terms of in relationship to his faith. Yeah. The question that we often have to ask ourselves is this. If I never have the opportunity to make a declaration of faith, my characteristics and my behavior should speak to the presence of my faith. In essence, see, most of us work in the secular world. Now, if I do what I'm doing here at work tomorrow, I can be accused of proselytizing. And this is what makes me a little bit different than maybe a pastor that works 24-7 in the church. Because sometimes what happens with pastors that work at church is they talk church as if the people they're talking to live at church. Pastor, we can't speak in tongues at my office. It looks, it looks funny. Now, I can do it on my break, but it's a problem if I do it on the clock at times. I can't, I can't do all of the, let's get your Bibles out and turn here uh, at 10 o'clock because I have a team's meeting. You understand what I'm saying? I can't. I can't do any of these things that you say. I can't have a prayer meeting over here at around three o'clock because once again, we have another meeting that I have to attend. And so sometimes what happens is pastors train you to be in church and they don't train you how to live within life and in the direction that God has sent you. The question, though, is. Does my faith inform my behavior? People that don't know that you're a Christian. Can they look at the characteristics and the behaviors that you have and they speak of the presence of faith within your life? And even if I don't say anything, I've had situations where I didn't say anything about God. I didn't say if you look over at Romans chapter number 12. Yeah, I didn't say any of those things. But 
Somebody said, it's like a presence about you. <laughs> There's something about you. Do, are you a Christian? And I was like, yeah, 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 what you talking about? Yeah, I know him. You know him? Yeah, I know him. Can they sense his presence with you? Even if you can't speak forth directly a direct de declaration of your faith. <laughs> There's certain characteristics that you have. For Daniel, they said, all right, we've concluded one thing. We've concluded that he is faithful. We've concluded that he is trustworthy. We've concluded all of these things. We've concluded that he's always responsible. We've concluded he's completely trustworthy. And there must be something that we can get him on. And he says, all right, one thing we can get him on is a connection to his faith. When people look at you, I mean, again, characteristics of who you are and what you are should be displayed in some of your characteristics. Again, you found faithful, predictable. Christians go to church. I can't work on that. I got to go to church. I can't. I got I to go to church because that's what Christians do. Christians pray. For Daniel, we find in verse number six that, that uh, let me not get ahead of myself, but that he does exactly what he's always been doing, even when he's under threat. Turn over to John chapter number 15. Let's take a major side journey as I guess, yeah, we get ready to close. John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15. Let's look at it this out of the new King James Version of the Bible. If I never have the opportunity to make a declaration of faith, tell people I am a Christian, right? Does my characteristics and my behavior speak about the presence of my faith? Can people sense it on me because of the time that I spent with God? If they decided to make a rule at your work that nobody can go to church, nobody can go pray, would it affect your life? Or would everything in your life basically be the same? Because there's no, there's no characteristics. There's no traits. There's no behavior shifts. They cuss, you cuss, just like them. They slap, you slap, just like them. There's no characteristics. But yet, when you're feeling religious, you say, you know, girl, I'm a Christian. Oh, I ain't know it. <laughs> really? You a Christian? Mm. Now, you know you got a problem when people say, mm. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. Mm. All right, John chapter 15, y'all quit playing. John chapter 15 and verse number five. Notice the scripture, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. He says, your location determines your fruit. If you in me, you're gonna bear some fruit. This is one of the ways we can determine whether or not you are a Christian or not. Let's look at some fruit. Okay. He says, for without me ye or you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. He says, all right, for the ones that never bear fruit. Now we understand this in the natural. You got this tree, it never bears fruit. It's good for nothing. But a tree that produces fruit, you know, you want it to produce and produce. And Jesus, in fact, goes on and talks about that trees that bear fruit. He says, we cut them back so they bear more fruit. 
He's saying, I am the vine, you are the branch. I am the source, and everything that grows out of me grows and produces fruit. Now turn over to Galatians chapter number five. Let's look at some fruit as we get ready to close. Weave all this together. Galatians chapter number five. You have it? No? Yes? All right. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness. I mean, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. He says the fruit of the spirit. Well, the Holy Ghost doesn't have fruit. You have the fruit. So the spirit, the Amplified says, the fruit that is produced as a result of his presence within is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, or good gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against us there is no law. So we have nine fruit. Once again, love, which is an unselfish concern for others. Joy, knowledge of him, peace, that is soul tranquility from being connected to him. Number four, utilize the word long-suffering, but it also can be translated as patience. Not the ability to wait, but how you act while you're waiting. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Number five, and the King James Version of the Bible uses the word gentleness. It is translated as kindness. You're always a mean Christian. You're fighting over the kitchen areas. (laughs) We need to see some fruit produced, okay? The word also means usefulness, moral excellence, and uh, character of demeanor. Number six, he says goodness, which means uprightness of heart. Number seven, faithfulness, which is the word pistis, which means conviction, convictions, and fidelity. Number eight, gentleness, which is translated as humility. Fruit of the Spirit. Number nine is temperance, which is also translated as self-control. Now, I haven't said this in a long time, particularly in this church, but I'm going to say this again tonight. Let's look at these groupings once again. Love, joy, peace is essentially internal conditions. Yes? yes. I can't see love. I mean, not, not necessarily, not, you know, I can feel it that you give to me. Joy is the same thing, and so is peace. They're internal conditions. Patience, kindness, and goodness is a display of character. We can see it. The fruit of the Spirit producing patience. You are a patient person. Not the person that's getting upset because now you have to wait in this long line. Not the person that's getting upset and blowing your horn down the highway. Not the person that, you know, it doesn't go your way and then you get all out of character. Patience, kindness, and goodness are displayed character. Now notice, meekness, faithfulness, and temperance is an action from personal conviction. Meekness, faithfulness, and temperance are actions out of personal conviction. I have a fidelity or faithful to something because I'm convinced that doing this the long term or the long haul is good for me. I have a a fidelity to doing this because I have determined that in this word meekness, which really is the word humility, being humble is good. That's why I choose humility. It's a choice. And then we see temperance, which is self-control. One of the ways you have self-control is you control your tongue. (laughs) You don't just say everything to come to your mind. Once again, 
you do these things as a result of personal conviction. Now, when you group these fruit of the spirit this way, it begins to show us something. A correct internal condition with displayed character resulting from personal conviction produces opportunities for usability, consumption, and reproduction. Okay? Correct internal condition, love, joy, peace, with displayed character, patience, kindness, and goodness, Resulting from personal conviction, which is meekness, faithfulness, and temperance, will produce opportunities for usability, consumption, and reproduction. Usability. What is that? Godly exposure. <laughs> Godly exposure. You ain't put yourself there. God says, all right, because you have a display of fruit, I'll put you in positions where you are exposed to the world. Consumption, what is that? You are consumed as a, uh, as a standard or a model. Consumption. People, God can say, all right, no, 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 no. I know there are a lot of hypocrites, but look at this one. Have you considered my servant, Phil, you put your name there. She won't cave. She won't fall. I'm able, God is able to use you as a standard bearer. In other words, people can look at your life and consume the character that you walk in. And then reproduction, which is seized to reproduce that standard. Reproduction. So God says, all right, now that you are usable, now that people are drawing from you, now you have the ability to speak into their life and reproduce what I've already done within your life. This is the goal. It's not so we could just say, well, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. And you don't get it. Y'all with me? Y'all, 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 you. So we will not be getting further than that tonight. <laughs> yeah, looking at the time. So I guess we will pick up one more week with the book of Daniel in the midweek. All right. Because we haven't even got to the lion's den. Yeah, we, 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 we haven't got there. Well, if you if you take these stories and again we teach them as stories, so we can consume as children. But as you grow, God wants to take these narrative, these stories, and extrapolate these things so that you can see how this is very applicable applicable to your life. Yes. Let me say one last thing and then we're going to quit. Uh, I want to put this last little caveat on it, on it because we were talking about integrity and character. Let me give you these and we're done. Character will keep you in positions, <clears throat> will keep you in a position for people to receive the gift on your life. Character will. Character will. Character is stewardship of the gift that God has in fact given you. We'll talk about this a little bit more on next week because I, I haven't said this in quite a while. Different between gifts and character. Character is the stewardship of your gift. Whatever gift God has given you, your character is what allows you to be used with that gift that you have. A lot of people, they are very gifted people. They don't walk in no character, so God will not put them in positions where they are usable. Character requires maturity, whereas a gift does not. Number four, character will 
uh, with a gift fosters promotion exposure by the king. Promotion and exposure by the king. And then number five, character is a sign is a sign pointing back to the reality of God. The whole purpose of what we see in chapter number six with Daniel is that his character puts him in a position that even when he's put in the pit, if you know what the end result is, the whole nation turns to God because of the character the man walked in. After he cuts out, Darius says, all right, I'm going to make this declaration that that man's God is God. If he would have said, oh, my God, they are they trying to get me. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start doing all these things. Stepped out of his character. None of the corresponding things would have taken place. If God is calling us to hold the standard, it is not just because of you, but it's because of people that are watching your life that you might not even know about. I, I, I can't finish tonight. I want to, but all right. Father God, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you for this opportunity to practically look at the book of Daniel. Lord, we thank you for the leadership concepts that you have embedded within this particular book of the Bible. That you're showing us how to exist in a hostile work environment. That you're showing us how to operate in integrity when everybody else is folding. We thank you, Lord, that, that the integrity of the right shall guide them. So we thank you, Lord, that as we continue to have the fruit of the Spirit cultivated on the inside of us, Lord, we thank you that you'll put us in positions for greater exposure. And so, Lord, at the end of the day, even when we don't understand, God, we trust your heart concerning us. And therefore, we decide as an act of our will, God, to trust your methods. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody in agreement did say, Amen. Praise the Lord.